views and opinions expressed on Explore Secrets of the Truth or that of their guests or contributors are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. All information on Explorer Seekers of the Truth is provided in good faith, however, we make no representation or warranty of any kind, express or implied, regarding the accuracy, adequacy, validity, reliability, availability, or completeness of any information on this talk show or website. From monsters and ghosts to otherworldly beings, join the explorers as they venture into the darkest realms seeking the truth to what goes on in the night. Good evening and welcome to Explorer Seekers of the Truth, episode 63. Tonight, as always, I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, who's just making funny faces at me to see how long I last before I, I you know, just can't do this part. Um, so how are you doing this evening there, faces? I I am very good. I'm very good. But the reason why I'm doing that is I'm, I'm watching the opening video play, and I don't know how it looked on your end, but it looked like because there's the multiple screens there's the in queue and the live and they weren't syncing this time so i'm like is one ahead of the other did it actually play properly i don't know i'm not seeing what it looks like on the live end but other than that i'm doing fine how did it look on your end it looked it looked like it worked this time it last the couple times that we've done it it looked off on my end but this time it actually looked yeah. like it worked so all right. Well, let's fingers crossed. Hopefully, if anybody saw the opening, uh, I see there's one viewer so far. If anybody's seen the opening video, uh, let us know if it actually played through. If not, then I'll just fix it in post. But uh, so how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Uh, busy week. We got wildfires <laughs> down there, right? Or this some kind like, of a fire going on. This is the third like forest fire in southern virginia in like the last two weeks three weeks there was a couple out in over the mountain uh like two weeks ago and then all of a sudden today there's one south of me a little ways yeah so. yeah they they be wildfires seem to be more and more uh common anymore and and you wouldn't think because uh, especially like up here we've been having a lot of like uh moisture and precipitation and we were just up in wilkesbury the other day and there was another fire that you could see up on the hill and whether or not it was a wildfire i don't know but it looked pretty substantial but it just seems to be i don't know more and more common for uh forest fires anymore throughout the country which is kind of bizarre but well know. of course this is right after they announced we're in a drought here i don't oh, know of course, of course yeah <laughs> we're in a drought all of a sudden there was a wildfire forest fire whatever they want to call it and of course i i didn't see this on the news i got it from facebook so yeah take it take it with a grain of salt right yeah hey good evening norm good to see you join in buddy 
So I guess I'll do my usual spiel here. So we'll uh, let everybody know where to find us. Obviously, Norm has commented via YouTube. Uh, we do go live on both Facebook and YouTube. You could comment underneath the show in the comment section, and we should be able to see it live. Um, and we should hopefully be able to comment live as well. Uh, you can find us on X at Explorers Group. You can visit us at our website, explorersgroup.com, or on either YouTube or Facebook, and you can reach out to us and say hi. Give us uh, any kind of topics that maybe you would like to hear us talk about or just to say hello. That's 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 good enough. But uh, And that's it. That's it in a nutshell, to, to, how to get in touch with us. <laughs> so, you know, tonight we're going to go... Um, slightly off our normal format. We're going to kind of discuss the hex signs, powwows, and witchcraft in the Pennsylvania Dutch folklore and legend. Mm -hmm. And it's a mix of superstition folklore that you know traveled with the Pennsylvania Dutch from the old country here to America. Uh, hex signs are, uh, if you could maybe pop up that picture of the hex signs. Yes, one? sir. The one on the barn? Yeah, that'd be good. All right. So hex signs are a form of Pennsylvania Dutch folk art and related to Franktor, founded in the fancy Dutch tradition in Pennsylvania Dutch country. Uh, barn paintings, usually in the forms of stars in circles, began to appear on the landscape in the early 19th century and became more widespread decades later when it you know, of course, it becomes commercialized with ready mixed paints and becomes easily, you know, more readily available. And it, by the 1950s, the commercialized hex signs aimed at, you know, tourists, the, the tourist market. I mean, if anybody's ever been in Lancaster or what we consider the Dutch country, mm -hmm. you could buy them in gas stations. So, oh, yeah. You know, so you have that, and you know, some of the more popular often includes, you know, like, yeah, there you go. That's, a, you know, from a shop. And what you see there is like the star, the compass rose, um, stylized birds known as the uh, Disselfinks, um, mm -hmm. hearts, tulips, uh, or the tree of life. And like two schools of thought. Ooh, hold on. I just clipped out there. Two schools. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, did I lose you? <laughs> yeah, it clipped. I could actually hear it clip on my end. Like, huh. there's two schools of thought on the existence of the meanings of hex signs. And one school ascribes it as a, you know, a talismanic nature uh, to ward off evil spirits. Um, mm -hmm. And the other is kind of more of it's purely decorative and you know, kind of just there. Yeah. Now, certain Hexine themes, you know, have, you know, superstitions around them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, and they have magical powers. Because it's... <laughs> of course, of course. There's got to be that, that, that air of mystique to it. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'd like to point out is Amish and Mennonite generally do not use... Or, or basically do not believe in hex signs, and you will not see them. A lot of people think, oh, that's an Amish thing or a Mennonite thing. It's yeah. not. It is really a Pennsylvania Dutch thing that became right, commercialized right. in the 1950s. Like I said, nowadays, 
you start driving through Lancaster County, York County, even like uh, parts of Berks County. Town. Yeah, I was going to say parts of Berks County, even parts of Schuylkill yeah. County. You can pretty much mm -hmm. find them in a lot of some the Some of the older areas. areas, yeah, in the back roads. Some of those old barns still have uh, some of those hex signs up on them. Mm -hmm. But and, and for those unfamiliar, like Chad had mentioned, the, the, they're basically painted barn stars and with uh, in a circular border, as we showed in that one uh, picture. It's just those big giant circles with the designs painted on them, and they're a common sight in the Pennsylvania Dutch barns, like Chad said, in the central southeastern Pennsylvania, and especially Berks, Lancaster, Lehigh County. But however, the modern decoration of uh the barns is a late development in the pennsylvania folk art prior to the 1830s because um well yeah like like chad had mentioned that the paint uh became more affordable it was more readily available and whatnot and they began to decorate their barns because prior to that they didn't even paint the barns their barns were more of a natural color and then it was more common to uh get the uh barn red color because it was one of the cheaper paint pigments and tones uh, of that time so barns are big structures and in a way in an attempt to preserve the the life the longevity of the wood they would paint the barns and because that brick red is uh was the most affordable covered more square footage that's why most of the barns uh would be uh red like the way they were. And the bar barn decorating reached its peak in the early 20th century, at which time there were many artists who specialized in barn decorating. And drawing from a large repertoire of designs, barn painters combined many, many elements um, into their decorations. And the geometric patterns of, you know, it spread from the, the barns to, you know, quilts. Um, a lot of the quilt designs spewed into the hexes, hex signs and vice versa. And like Chad said, there was the hearts and, the, you know, it was the compass rows and, and the stars, the more geometric. Then it took on hearts, tulips and uh, other different kind of uh, patterns. And they're commonly found on elaborately lettered and decorated birth, baptism and marriage certificates known as uh, fracture. So throughout the 20th century, hex signs were often produced as commodities for the tourist industry. And the signs could be bought and then mounted onto the barns and used in household decorations. Um, Jacob Zook of Paradise, Pennsylvania, claimed to have originated the modern mountable sign in 1942 and based on traditional designs to be sold in souvenir shops, gift shops, you know, to tourists along the Lincoln Highway. Then Edward uh, Bukak of Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania, designed and produced many um, then Jacob Zook signs via screen printing. So it took on another form of uh, mass production. Um, and then William Schuster, Milton in Milton Hill, and Johnny Ott and Johnny and Eric Claypool also contributed to the hex sign revival or adaptation. And modern art artists uh, may stress that the uh, symbolic meanings, for example, a horse head is used to protect animals from disease and the building from lightning and a dove represents peace and contentment. And uh, unusual use is the uh, official uh, logo of the Pennsylvania Bureau of uh, Radiation Protection. So that's kind of weird, but they use a hex sign as their uh, logo. And it incorporates the international symbol for radiation into its yellow and red adaptation of a traditional hex sign design. Which is kind of, kind of interesting that they would use a hex sign to ward off any kind of bad juju at a radiation plant so well i mean also you got to think about it though 
our state capitals in Harrisburg. It's not it's really part of Dutch country when you yeah. think about it. So also you had a lot of your artists. Yeah, what's probably back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even in the 80s, when people thought of Pennsylvania, you know, it's the Keystone State. Well, that got really boring. So what's the next piece of art? like native art to Pennsylvania. Oh, hex signs yeah. or some, you know, variation. So maybe the designer, you know, looking, it was probably some contest they did and it was probably the coolest thing they could come up with. That wasn't a oh, key. Probably. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's close to Harrisburg. It's kind of that, you know, demographic it's the local, mm -hmm. local people, you know, so it's, it's a, a relatable and connection. So, yeah. So there are like two opposing schools of beliefs regarding the derivation of the name. Mm -hmm. The term hex with occult connotations may derive from the Pennsylvania German word heck or hecke mm -hmm. or hex, mm -hmm. meaning which. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, However just, you pronounce it, it, yeah. it has the same meaning. Yeah, it just depends what version of the Dutch, German or Pennsylvania Dutch you use. Because yeah, that, that's a lot, that that alone too is what a lot of people don't realize is you have the German, you have the Dutch, and then the Pennsylvania Dutch, and mm -hmm. each one of them has a slight different uh, dialect to uh, yeah the well, way they spell and speak yeah. Got to break out the old jug. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, so and of course my computer pops up the thing. Huh. Yeah, so we were talking about you know. Basically, the meaning is which. However, the term hex sign was not used until the 20th century after 1924 when Wallace Nutting's book Pennsylvania Beautiful was published. Nutting, who was not from Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. interviewed farmers about their distinct barn decorations. Before this time, there was no standard term, and many Pennsylvania German farmers simply called the signs Bloom or Stern. Mm -hmm. meaning flower or star okay my german is horrible my grandparents would be so upset with me <laughs> yeah, right yeah my uh, you know however one farmer used the term hexfus meaning hmm. which foot in his description and the term became popular with the pennsylvania germans themselves during the blooming tourism trade of the southeastern part of pennsylvania um, we should probably have gotten a map so people would understand what part of the state we're talking about. Uh, these signs were, yeah, it, is, it is pretty much clustered within that, that central East central to Southeastern. Yeah. Well, and that's a weird thing because they like in the thing we're, you know, we're talking about there, they had said like Lehigh County. Yeah. Well, yeah. Partially like maybe a little bit of Lehigh County, you know, Berks County, but even Schuylkill County, and you got you a know, lot of Pennsylvania Dutch in, in Schuylkill County. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole valley, a lot of Dutchies. Yeah. So, and, you know, these signs were traditionally adorned with six pointed stars. There mm -hmm. is also the belief that the origin leading to the word hex sign is that English settlers mispronounced the German word for six, sich, and hex. Mm -hmm. so hex mark designs are also thought to be used to ward off witches mm -hmm. on everything imaginable from you know you're looking at quilt patterns to hanging mobiles to 
painted on decorations on walls, furniture, floors, doors, monkeys, bears, chickens. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> uh, you know, but I mean, anything canning jar covers. I mean, I remember them on grandma's canning jar covers. Oh god, yeah, even tissue box covers and everything had them on. Mm, yeah, you know, clothing, and you know, pretty pretty much, it's like any. It would be like Nike, the swish sign. Yeah. Anything you could put it on, they'll put it on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the war, ward off the, you know, the evil tissue spirits. <laughs> right. The, the, the common cold. Yeah. So the word hex in German, you know, which is the word for witch, uh -huh. and the circles in which they were painted were meant to be witch traps. Right. Uh, you know, the more elaborate the design, the more difficult it would be for the witch to escape. That's why you see so many different patterns, uh, geometric shapes being used mm -hmm. inside of the circles or the stars. You know, and it was basically designed or allegedly designed to, you know, make it, it it's Tartarus. It, it's an ever changing prison for them to try to escape. Right. Well, it's kind of like uh, in in uh, New England, a lot of the old houses had those which staircases. Windows? Yeah, which windows and the staircases that would have it, they'd be split and they'd almost be like offset because it confused mm -hmm. which they couldn't, you know, ascend the steps without them being symmetrical or or, or properly fitted. Yeah. So there's all those different kind of superstitions mm -hmm. and whatnot that are linked to to that. Yeah. But. Uh, now, in recent years, hex signs have come to be used by, you know, non-Pennsylvania Dutch persons as talismans of folk magic rather than, you know, items of decoration. Right. And, you know, some believe that both, you know, the Pennsylvania German barn design and the hex design or, originate in the Alpine mountains of Germany. Mm-hmm. Which would kind of make sense because some of the what we consider Pennsylvania Dutch, I believe, are from that area. Yeah. So yeah, it would kind of make sense that maybe some of the origins come from there. They note that the hexes are not, you know, pre-Christian of pre-Christian German uh, Germanic origin. Right. You know, for instance, the circle uh, rosette is called the Sun of the Alps in the Po Valley. Mm -hmm. And this is based on the history of neo-pagans have taken up, you know, the practice of creating hex signs, incorporating other pre-Christian symbols, you know, into the hex work. And mm -hmm. um, Grandee in the book Strange Experiences, the autobiography of Hex, Hexenmeister, describes hex signs as painted prayers. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I guess in that'd be very much like a talisman, you know what I mean? Where you would draw or etch a certain similar pattern, you'd wear it or display it in a, in a way to ward off whatever it is that you don't want to uh, get you. Yeah. Um... And not just witches. I mean, it could be bad luck, illness or, or whatever, you know, uh, or, or you'd want it to attract something, you know, like uh, prosperity and, and wealth and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good health for your, you know, family or animals or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, you're using it for. Now, some view the designs as, you know, decorated symbols of an ethnic identity, you know, possibly mm -hmm. originating in reaction to the 19th century attempts made by the government to suppress the Pennsylvania Dutch language. 
Mm -hmm. uh, Anabaptist sects, uh, such as the Amish and Mennonite in this region, have you know negative views of the hex signs, and they are rarely mm. you know ever used by these groups, households yeah. on their households or farms. Now, let's be honest: the Amish have a negative view of anything that's not. That's not um, Amish. <laughs> anything that they call anything they would claim to be English, which is their uh, term for not them. Um, right, right. They have a negative thing for it. now Mennonites. I I've grown up around a lot of Mennonites and stuff like that. I've worked with a few of them throughout my freelance career too, and they're yeah. they're a lot more uh, laid back and accepting mm -hmm. of, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I've I can recall Mennonites in their homes having decorative, you know, hex sign art and stuff like yeah. that. It's not be, you know, because some of them are really just Pennsylvania Dutch that were a little stricter in their yeah. you know, religious beliefs. So over the generations as, you know, they reform and stuff like that, they've kind of moved back to the culture and not the religious parts of it. Right. Right. You know, and regardless of the true nature of the symbols, um, Thomas Wright, Thomas White uh, writes in his book, Witches of Pennsylvania, Cold History and Lore, Believers in witchcraft and other methods to protect their barns and an the animals inside. One way to stop a witch from entering was to draw or carve a five-pointed star in the door frame, where it could be, where it could not be seen. Right. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, such stars were called the hexfus or witch's foot. Mm -hmm. um, there's various other charms, like the one mentioned previously be written on paper or you know hung or hidden in a barn for the same purpose right um, right you know i've seen even in non pennsylvania dutch homes where like they have the doors blessed and then they have the chalk the ashings done and stuff like that where they're kind of out of the out of eyesight but on the frames yeah and they're basically blessings for you know peace and prosperity for the year Right, right. Yeah. And Actually, the, the old farmhouse that I, I used to live in before I moved into the house I'm in currently, um, there was stuff etched in chalk above the door frames too, which was like a little prayer to, you know, mm -hmm. enter in. Basically, it was the like enter house in. Had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was enter in, enter, enter in uh, positive, exit negative, basically, is what it, it boiled down to. Yeah. Ours at the Miners House said, Austin 316. <laughs> Austin 316. Oh, God. I just whooped your ass. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, so it's not, you know, some people would understand it, you know, just as a church blessing. And I think, oh, look at that piece of Britain Cup. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, <laughs> I have six other travel coffee cups that are sitting next to me and not clean yet because <laughs> one, I didn't take them back into the house to clean them. And two, our dishwasher is out of commission right now. So uh, I'm, I'm down to uh, my last couple cups, but not that I don't like the beast of Britain cup where I can see it. Our there buddy, is. Annie McGrath's uh, that's his thing there. That's his logo. And he uh, sent us those mugs and I, I use it. My, actually my wife prefers that mug and she, prefers listening to his voice too so i don't know maybe it's a her love for andy i don't know but uh yeah i'm down to my last cup 
So I guess I well, got to do some hand washing. Yeah. You remember how to do that. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So another method, <laughs> another method, another method of keeping witches out required the mixing of cow and hog blood. Hmm. Mm. The mixture, the mixture had to be spread about above every door frame and the witch would be oh. unable to pass through it to harm the animals inside. Other equally gory options have included nailing a toad foot above the door or a foot of a goose with in a hex foos. Oh, well, you know, whatever works, I guess, whatever keeps the witches out. You know, and go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, you know, go ahead. <laughs> Just kind of thinking about blood. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that would be a uh, a. It probably wouldn't be a pleasant smell to have around your barn and home. And b, mm. uh, I, I would imagine you'd have a lot more flies and other kind of pests that you wouldn't yeah. want around e either. You know what I mean? So you're basically yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like the smell would draw in other predators yeah, flies and all that shit and you're, you're you're inviting contamination is is basically it so then if something bad happens i guess oh the the whatever you want to call it the prayer or the the uh the hex foos didn't work and uh the witch got in or whatever i don't know but mm -hmm. it's just it's funny that when you think about that kind of stuff when you look back at the belief systems and and the superstitions and whatnot uh the lengths that some people would go to to try and safeguard themselves when you know really it was probably just common cold or or just some sort of a typical illness within the area that was just you know they, they didn't know how to combat properly but i don't know well, and, and another thing too that we were talking about earlier um that people got to keep in mind is a lot of this what of what we're talking about is very much speculation because after doing some research on this it was a mixed bag Mm, you know it was like yeah baby that's my bag um you had a, you know some people were writing about how they were you know um anti-witch anti-evil protection this and that then you had a multitude of other people that were like it has nothing to do with that at all it was just the art form or the art stylings of those of the of the the Dutch and Germans that had, you know, migrated over to America, they just brought that artwork and the tradition with them. And it was just an art or a cultural thing. It wasn't really uh, any kind of a superstitious or supernatural intent or, or meaning behind it. So. Well, and the weird thing is like, I grew up on my, on my dad's side, my grandmother, um, she's of Pennsylvania Dutch descent. And, mm -hmm. You know, it was always almost tongue-in-cheek. The, oh, that's to ward off, you know, witches and stuff like that. It wasn't a serious, like, statement. Now, See, she I did grew have up her talismans also. Well, right, right. That's what, I'm, that's what I was, I was going to say. Is it's, it's ironic, though, because my grandmother was Pennsylvania Dutch, and that was like it like when, when when we were doing the research on this and i i was you know finding all this information about how um oh it's 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 decorative there's really no uh supernatural meaning to it at all mm -hmm. i found that very strange because growing up that's that's what we knew mm -hmm. in the area is that they were these 
you know, protective talismans or, or inscriptions on the barn to prevent evil or, or Mm -hmm. harm. They were basically good luck charms. Yeah. And my grandmother, um, like super religious, but did believe in like hexing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like that people could do it. So yeah. One of her ta- her things was elephants with their trunks up. Yeah, every I remember. Yeah, go ahead. Every elephant that she owned always had to have its trunk up, facing up. Yeah. Like, and I mean, when I say every elephant she owned, she used to own a probably at any given moment a hundred to two hundred elephants of all different sizes and all different materials. She had a room in her house. And um, like we used to, when we would go places, have to find her. Like we wanted to buy her a present. It was always an elephant. And you always had to find the one with the trunk doing the up curve. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the, the, when we were young back in the eighties, cause it's so funny that you're talking about elephants. Cause huh, I remember growing up in the, in the eighties, and they had freaking elephants were everywhere. Remember, it was always like they were some sort of a, a like a gemstone or something that they were carved out of, and it was like the trunk up and the legs were splayed and stuff like that. Everybody had them. Yeah. And I, I do remember, you know, especially at like grandparents' houses, seeing lots of elephants. So maybe it was a Dutch thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know why, like, honestly, my other grandmother was owls. Well, that was a home interior thing because that was big in the eighties, and owls were were all the rage in home interior. Yeah, I mean, my her, mom was a home interior nut. <laughs> yeah, well, like her her clock was like a mama owl with the clock on its stomach, and then like two baby owls sitting with it on a tree branch. I know exactly what you're talking about. I yeah, remember that was those, that was yeah. her kitchen clock. Now, my other, like I said, my other grandmother, uh, you know, was of Dutch descent and all that, and mm-hmm. I mean, she had her little. I mean, her good luck charms and yep. uh, when she'd go play bingo. And, of course, she played bingo in some very hotly contested Pennsylvania Dutch bingo halls. Uh, <laughs> you know, a meat tray was on the line. Somebody was getting <laughs> A meat tray. Oh, yeah. God. Meat so or cheese true. trays, man. You, you don't know Dutch unless you've had yeah. a meat or cheese tray. Oh, God. With that sweet Lebanon bologna. Oh, oh. sweet Lebanon bologna. That's something like... <laughs> You can get it down here, but it ain't the same. It's yeah, like yeah. shipped from up there. It's like Kunzler's and stuff, but yeah, yeah, it, it's not the same. No, <laughs> you get that with some uh, cream cheese and roll it up, and mm, delish. But back to the the uh, hex stuff is, I remember growing up with my grandparents. They would always have it was either like a rectangular or sometimes circular, uh, very much in the Pennsylvania Dutch uh, art style. Uh, now I didn't speak german or dutch or anything but because it was always written in one of those Mm. so it was above every doorway every entrance every exit there was one of these little plaques and it was either like like i said before it was either like enter with positive exit with negative and there was one in the kitchen to bless the food there was you know there was always so Mm. that's why growing like i said when we were doing this research i found it very odd that they were saying that there wasn't anything tied to this because growing up with our grandparents, you know, primarily Pennsylvania Dutch and all that stuff, it was everywhere. That's, that's all you knew is the superstitions behind it. And, and 
mm-hmm. their supposed connection to ward off things. Yeah, it was never like I said. It was it was always like kind of tongue in cheek with the whole like oh it's there to ward off witches and stuff like that. But yet mm-hmm. tongue in cheek, but yet actions and it was never talked about as artwork. I mean, it was always oh look how beautiful that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that but, one means that this or that one means that. Because yeah. I don't know about about you, but I remember my my grandparents would say oh well this has this meaning or that has that you know what i mean but mm-hmm. yeah there was always certain things like certain ways to where they were placed in it or you know the color meant certain yeah yeah you know stuff yeah. see i don't know man we were probably like we were probably related to these uh bro hurries or whatever they are all right well we, we get into know. yeah yeah, we probably were. So speaking of, moving on to the next sec- section and keeping with the Pennsylvania Dutch traditions, we're going to be moving on to another of these traditions called powwows. Now, hex signs were thought to ward off evil spirits and witches and their dark magic. Now, powwows, also called broha uh, or brohari, uh, it, I may not be pronouncing them properly. I tried to use Google Translate to get the proper, and, and I I did the uh, the breakdown of it, the phonetic spellings. But uh, I'll tell you, I listened to three or four different people who are Pennsylvania Dutch, all basically hmm. from the same like geographic area, and they all pronounced it differently. Differently, yeah, yeah. Now, according to Google Translate, is and and they had that little bit of a to like brachai. And brachery, I don't know, yeah, in the Pennsylvania I, I, Dutch language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a uh, vernacular system of North American traditional medicine and folk magic, the, the powwow, in the culture of the Pennsylvania Dutch. So ironically, you have the signs and symbols to ward off magic. You have the same people who practice folk magic. But I guess this is how they work together. So you have the powwow practitioner, practitioners who are known to heal the sick and are known uh, by some as powwow doctors or hex doctors. And these practitioners use these religious charms to end the evil influences of witches who cast the spells upon man and beast. So I guess you could say that they're like anti-witch, uh, mm-hmm. like fighting fire with fire, or, you know, in this case, magic with magic. But uh, you had mentioned earlier uh, about the book by Thomas White, the uh, witches of Pennsylvania, occult history and lore, which is, if you can see it, this one right here, um, really good book. Got a lot of information on that, which we might actually be putting into a part two of this. Um, so he says the most extensive and well-documented system of folk magic and healing in Pennsylvania is that belonging to the Pennsylvania German or Dutch, as they are often called, immigrants and their descendants. It's also the system most associated with witchcraft as a result. So many of the German immigrants uh, made the journey to Penn's colony to take advantage of the uh, economic opportunity, coal mines (laughs) and farming is about all they had, and religious freedom that they could not find in Europe. And at first they settled in large ethnic communities as such as Germantown, you know, I wrote, Mm -hmm. makes sense. And, uh, but soon spread across the growing colony and state to take advantage of the fertile farmland and resources. So the German settlement was particularly dense in the in the counties in the su- southeastern corner of uh, the state around Philadelphia, and the area eventually became known as the Pennsylvania Dutch country, as we were saying. 
to legions of uh, 20th century tourists. Though they became Americanized in many ways, the Germans held strongly to elements of their culture and blended new and old world customs to form a distinct identity. And even their language uh, became unique uh, Pennsylvania German dialect. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of times too when you talk to people, uh, especially in those areas of southeastern PA, um, they got that Dutchie, come on now, come on now, Vunce. They got that Dutchie, you know, they, 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 talk a little uh funny i guess as compared to other people in in the state but then again you go to any part like, like shenandoah is a, is a language all of its own or, or I mean? yeah yeah tree two tree uh oh i uh, i want to know where the tree button is on a phone so bad <laughs> the tree button yeah yeah tree tree nine <laughs> yeah. but, but buddy that's right that's right and and though there there uh there were a great variety of religious denominations among these settlers there was a common tradition of folk magic and that was practiced across denominational lines with the exception of the plain dutch such as the amish as we mentioned before who rejected the practice and for large numbers of these germans they believed in folk magic uh and it was integrated integrated into their christian beliefs as occult ideas were generally more acceptable in German than in England, in Germany than in England, um, at one of, end of the magical spectrum was the practice of the uh, bruhai or bruhari, uh, were commonly known as powwowing, and this is not to be confused with anything Native American ceremonial practices or or of the same name, no relation. Um, so powwowers performed magical religious folk healing and drew healing power from God. So bruhari is usually translated as trying or sometimes using. And the other end of the spectrum was hexery or witchcraft. So practitioners from this form of black magic drew their power from the devil or other ungodly uh, sources. So since the perceived supernatural battle between good and evil was not going to be played out in Pennsylvania courts, the bewitched had to turn elsewhere for assistance. So if you felt that you were cursed, your livestock was cursed, your property, so on and so forth, you would go see a powwower or a hex doctor. They would fill the void for the uh, believers and the culture of folk magic continued to flourish, which is pretty interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... Germany is just a wild, wild place at this point. Uh, you know, when mm -hmm. people are coming here from Germany and stuff like that. Um, England had been very far removed from its pagan roots at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, even at that point, I mean, that that's even past all the witch trials and stuff in, in England. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I mean, there was yeah. mass murders with, you know, uh, I can't remember what king it was. It was a King Henry. Where he went, he went on like a witch killing spree. I mean, they were killing everybody. Yeah, but I mean, it, it did happen in other countries too. But hmm. yeah, what well, happened in Salem in the 1600s? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They went well, on that. You know, in, happened in Pennsylvania slightly before that. Yeah, but which we course, were covering. Of course, Salem gets yeah. all the freaking notoriety. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's because our governor at the time, William Penn, was smart mm -hmm. enough to go. 
this. <laughs> yeah, we, didn't, we didn't burn and press people or hang and press yeah. people. Excuse me. They weren't really burned. That's kind of a misnomer. That's more of a European thing. Um, yes. So there isn't a more famous case of witches dueling it out than the one that took place in Stewartstown, Pennsylvania, at the home and murder site of the witch of Raymire Hollow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> really need to add sound effects back into this. <laughs> yeah, you have that awesome, you have that awesome mixer that's completely set up to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just go right past that. <laughs> yeah. You know, known locally as the Hex House, this was once the home of the Pennsylvania Dutch powwow doctor Nelson Raymeyer until he was beaten to death in it in 1928 in a scuffle over curses and spells. Mm -hmm. uh, powwow medicine was, you know, an esoteric related to faith healing and witchcraft and heriting traditions brought over from the Pennsylvania Dutch settlers from Germany. And in the U S it was a practice centered around books of magic recipes called powwows or the long lost friend. Mm -hmm. I just like to point out soup is witchcraft soup. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially is it boiled in a big <laughs> pot and it's all the ingredients put in there and it's, uh, makes you feel better after you get it. But, uh, I would yeah, agree. Chicken noodle soup is technically, uh, yeah, depends on the Dutch folk magic. That is true, and it, it's a, it's a cure all for every cold. But uh, it always worked growing up. But as Chad stated uh, in that book, the long lost friend, uh, it was written by a Pennsylvania Dutch healer named Johan Horg Homan <laughs> or Hoffman in the 1820s. This book is a rambling collection of rural home remedies and folk invocations. And powwow is a unique creole to Christian theology and a kind of shamanistic belief system. And it's still practiced in some of the rural areas of Pennsylvania. And in spite the name, like we said before, it is not Native American deriv uh, derivation. So there's no connection. And it's believed to have been uh, brought over to America by the German immigrants who practice folk magic, like we said many times before. So this little book includes healing spells, binding spells, protective spells, talismans, wards, benedictions, and so much more. And as for the home remedies, if you happen to get your hands upon a copy of this book, which you still can. Now, the original copies are, are very hard to find, but you can still find copies of The Long Lost Friend or The Powwows. Um, we don't recommend trying them and just stick to visiting your family doctor. But I mean, it would, wouldn't hurt to at least get a copy and check it out for yourself. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Man, I have a burp stuck in it. I, I apologize. But uh, anyways, so uh, like I said, we don't recommend trying any of that stuff. It was like hanging there, dude. It was like, a, you know, just a bubble. The text is somebody, also... Somebody of, hexed you. I think so. I think so. I need to get, I need to get the long lost friend. Um, the text is also of historical interest as it paints a vivid picture of the uh, miseries of rural American life in the early 19th century. And the original version, like we said, of the book, it's very, very hard to find, extremely hard to find. Believe me, I've tried. That is one book that I've been trying to get my hands on for quite a few years because I we've talked about this um, 
a few times over the years since we've been doing the show. And this is one, one topic I, I always kind of wanted to cover. And it's one book that I always wanted to add to my collection because I just think it would be so cool. But, you know, maybe one day. Can't yeah, find it anywhere on eBay, you know, as like the original copies. But, no, you know, if I, if I ever get down, yeah, no. But if I ever get down to like the Kutztown Farmer's Market, those are where you find the diamonds in the rough is those farmer's markets, the estate sales down there, yard sales. You know what I mean? People I say estate sales, somebody not knowing what it is, just exactly. knowing it's an old book and trying to sell it. Grandparent, great grandparent passes away. They want to offload it. Nobody wants to deal with any of that old junk. You know what I mean? You get down there, you get your hands on that and you scored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw somebody that had like an 1800s copy of it. Oh, really? That I would yeah. like to see. Yeah, not they wouldn't That'd sell it. They actually, they actually bought it off of you know somebody in the area, and mm. like they would not sell it. But it's no, I like wouldn't 18, either. You know, late 18, mid 1800s copy of it. So not an original, well, original, if, but close enough. Yeah, close enough. If I ever got a copy that old. Uh, if anything ever happened to me, it would then pass to you. So don't sell it. That'd be written in my will that you can't sell it. First thing I do is sell it. <laughs> you probably would. Can they write like, Thanks, buddy. You made me a few a few bucks. Yeah. Uh, so I'll autograph it also. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll sell it right next to your autograph Bible. <laughs> For the wishes, the last wishes of my best friend. <laughs> Enjoy this book. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so a little bit on uh, John George ha Homan, also spelled Johann George Homan, and sometimes actually misspelled as Hoffman. Mm -hmm. So he was active between the years of 1802 and 1846. And he was a German-American printer, bookseller, compiler, collection of herbal remedies, magic healing, and charms. Uh, he had immigrated to the U.S. in 1802, and he actually settled in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm. That's right. I said Reading, not Reading. Mm -hmm. It is spelled Reading, folks, but it is it is pronounced Reading. The two things Reddings are famous for is pretzels and the pagoda, and nobody knows why we have a damn pagoda. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. It, it was a present. It was actually supposed to be a resort, and they couldn't get a liquor license. Oh, well, there you go. And they just turned it back over to the county then. Um, <laughs> but in Pennsylvania, in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is part of the Pennsylvania Dutch community area, and he basically had printed and sold um, broadsides and chapbooks and, you know, other books. And he had, I believe, a couple books that actually involved other versions of folk magic and folk religion known as powwowing yeah so he does you know it wasn't the um powwow and the long lost friend was one but there were some other remedy books and stuff mm -hmm. like that you know that were smaller yeah. that he had produced over the years so where did i put that book it's behind me ow break down i'm trying to get this book oh take yeah. your time so <laughs> trying to kill some time here <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the hex hollow murders or the um ryman holler yeah did i just say it wrong ray meyer 
Raymeyer. Yeah, I said Ryman. Yeah. The theater in Nashville. So the the story we're going to talk about, um, well, the version of it that we're using, and trust me, there are a million different versions of the story out oh there. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, some of them are completely not even in the ballpark, not in the right church, not right pew, not even in the right county. Um, <laughs> the version of the story we're going to use comes from the big book of Pennsylvania ghost stories by the legend Mark Nesbitt and Patty A. Mm -hmm. Wilson. There's mm -hmm. a couple other Patty A. Wilson books I want to get. Um, I actually but, have her book of uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot. Or Bigfoot I, have, Pennsylvania. I think I have her Is Your House Haunted book somewhere back behind there. Yeah, she's but, got a lot of great ones. I'd love to get her on the show or Ed <laughs> or Mark. Yeah. Um, basically, folks, if you buy that book, all the Ghosts of Gettysburg books are all the, the stories that were his original series, Ghosts of Gettysburg, are compiled in that book. Yeah. So you can buy that book and not or buy. I mean, I have a whole bunch of them already. So it was kind of weird when I opened it up, started reading the Gettysburg section, and it was stuff I'd already read over the years. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's where we're getting this version of the story. So today, um, Ray Myers Hollow, sometimes called Hex Hollow in your county, is known as a place to visit on Halloween where, you know, guys take their dates out to frighten them. The, you know, fathers drive their children through the hollow, you know, laughingly telling the folk tale of the murder, which is kind of really messed up that your parents would drive you around and tell you a folk tale of a murder. Oh, I threatened to throw my kids out there. See, and the weird thing is I remember going there as a kid. Mm -hmm. I remember my family I driving I, I remember I really driving through there telling the story, but I don't remember it as a joke. Like, right, right. I come from a long well, family, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. know, it's not yeah. like, oh, there's a murder over there. Let me tell you how funny this shit is. <laughs> <laughs> no, this yeah. was like, hey, by the way, this is part of your, you know, your culture, and there was a murder over there, and this is what happened. Mm -hmm. But this, yeah, this story is a real story, and like I said, it is kind of messed up that people kind of use it as a. Ha ha ha! You know, scare my date type thing. But I mean, we we all have done that. Mm -hmm. You know, many people would like to put this murder behind them, and you know, it is a unique incident in Pennsylvania history. And you know, it's it's part of the permanent folklore now. Yeah. So in the early 1900s, there were thriving Pennsylvania German communities in York and Lancaster counties. Uh, some people in the area believed in the form of folk medicine called Hex Haraya. That's the way I was taught to pronounce it. So <laughs> it looks like Hex but I think you're right because the, the pronunciations are not the way they look. Yeah. Hex I think is that's how I was told. Yeah. But like I said, I'm not well-versed in Pennsylvania Dutch anymore, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, and this is the thing, like some people don't quite get, this is a mix of Christian versus prayers and connotations mm -hmm. and, you know, physical manipulations used to help or hinder followers. Mm -hmm. So again, it is a Christian practice for the most part. Yeah. Uh, most of these who practice the hexerai, hexeri were called Brock, Harai, Brockery. Brahai. So, That's yeah, the Brahai. Brahai. Yeah, it's 
I like I said, I heard I listened to like four or five different people pronounce that word and got different. <laughs> They're all different. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Or necromancers. <laughs> we'll run with that. That's easier. Yeah. Yep. So the best ones help people, you know, they seem to have some mystical abilities. Mm-hmm. So John H. Blymeyer had grown up surrounded by the lore of the Hexerai, Hexerai. Necromancers. Necromancers. Uh, his grandfather, his father, his grandfather introduced him to the long lost friend and the Bruhara swore by it. So his he comes from a family who had been practitioners. And, you know, they basically always kind of the, the legend or folklore behind the practitioner lines was mm-hmm. the powers were said to be passed down generation to generation and were supposed to grow stronger with each new generation. Interesting. So Blymeyer, his beliefs were not really fulfilled. Um, he was a fourth generation, but his powers were considerably weaker than that of his father or his grandfather. Hmm. So when John was a young man, he decided that he had to have been hexed by a much more powerful necromancer. Right. Who had weakened his powers. 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 Yeah. Yeah, somebody's gonna hex us. We better stop this. Shit. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, one time I'll start <laughs> believing in curses. Yeah, all right. And basically, he believed if he could break the hex, his bad luck would end. The only problem mm-hmm. was that he had to know who had hexed him before he could actually break the spell. Hmm. And through the years, John accused many people of hexing him, including his ex-wife. At one point, he apparently planned to kill her. Now his plans for the murder were thwarted. Um, and basically, the Brahari... Necromancers. Just, necromancers. just say necromancers. Yeah, okay. Were uh, paid to try for their clients. Um, that meant they you know, tried to help influence the client's life in some way. They might give them advice, a love potion, a, a rub a substance on a ward and to the point of, you know, sores or saying secret prayers, you know, John did try. Like he wasn't, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't good at this practice. Like right, right. basically he wasn't powerful enough to make a living at it. Right. Uh, so he was actually forced to take a regular job at a cigar factory and, Basically, he spent his meager earnings as a necromancer and part of his salary at the factory job going from practitioner to practitioner looking for information that would lead him to the person who had hexed him. Hmm. Yeah, in the factory where he worked, uh, Blymeyer met a 15-year-old boy named John Curry who sought Blymeyer's help when he heard that he was working with a fourth-generation necromancer. So Curry gave Blymeyer the respect that he longed for. And Blymeyer, uh, you know, in exchange, provided Curry with friendship. And Curry was a sad and lonely young man. He lived with an alcoholic stepfather who beat him and his mother. And his mother, his mother loved him, but she was overwhelmed by the poverty and the abuse that they lived with. So she worked hard and tried to avoid the beatings. And John Curry longed for a, 
like a better, more stable male role model. And he chose for whatever reason, Blymire. And so a kind of murderous friendship was then born. And uh, Curry introduced Blymire to a family named Hess. And 17-year-old Wilbert Hess and his family soon shared Curry's um, adulation for Blymire. And they were happy to host a fourth-generation necromancer in their home. So they were uh, good and faithful people. And they had a uh, Himmel, Himmel brief, a letter written by a necromancer that interweaved Bible verses with words meant to ward off evil juxtaposed across like from a picture of Jesus in, in nearly every room in their home, hoping to bring the family good luck. Well, unfortunately, the Himmel brief had not worked so far, and they felt that their bad luck was due to a hex. So they were sympathetic uh, when they heard that Blaymire poured out his own tale of being hexed. And in fact, Blaymire and Hess the, the, uh, and the Hess family soon became convinced that the same person had hexed all of them. So uh, one night, Blaymire went to visit a well-known and powerful local uh, necromancer called Nellie Knoll. And she told Blaymire that he and the Hess family had been hexed by another local uh, necromancer named Nelson Raymire. So finally, Blaymire knew who his you know, persecutor was. So he and Curry hurried to the Hess home and told them the news. So Blaymire had done farm work for Raymire as a young man, and he had uh, he'd quit after seeing the older man go into a secret room under the kitchen through a trap door. And uh, a secret room that housed the great Brohar's or Necromancer's magic. So Blaymire now believed that Raymire was a practitioner of both white and black hexaria. Um, the only way to break the spells of such a uh, Necromancer was to get a lock of his hair and his book of magic spells from that secret room. So the hair had to be buried eight feet deep and the book had to be burned. So the Hess family also knew Raymire, and they agreed that he must be uh, the one hexing them too. So they instructed Wilbert Hess to accompany Blaymire and Curry on the mission to break the hex. So the three men went to Ra the Raymire farm. The first thing, the first night, they they merely watched Raymire. The second night, uh, the three worked up their courage to attack Raymire. They wrestled the the necromancer down and struck him in the head with a piece of stove wood, basically killing him. They believed this would uh, lift the curse. They didn't see the death of Raymire as murder, but rather as self-defense, and it was necessary uh, to break the hex. Um, and one thing that, that you got to keep in mind, too, is that Raymire was a well-known uh, brohire or necromancer, a powwow practitioner, and a lot of people actually went to him for cures and 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 whatnot and the help yeah so much so that his wife actually lived in a different house uh, over the hill from him because right she, right she and he so, so tired yeah. of people showing up all different hours of the day and night for his help that she yeah and he would take his laundry over to her to her yeah. house too to yeah. get washed she, she actually bizarre. lived you know over the hill from him with his two daughters and her lived in the house over on the farm that was her family farm mm -hmm. um yeah but yeah like that's that's how popular this man he was also a very large man yeah like he he was one of those people that even for back in that time frame was um you know 
six foot something kind of you know big farm guy yeah so uh also like blymeyer he may have had some like real serious uh mental, mental issues health. oh yeah mental health issues for sure yeah. Well, so, I think, and in, in this is the hard part too, because like you had mentioned before, there were so many um, different stories about the topic, and and even this this story in particular, mm -hmm. there were so many. Uh, you have a book, I have a book. We watch different videos. We watch, you know what I mean. There were so many different tellings of this, and uh, one of the one of the consistent things with Blaymeyer was he barely made it through grade school. Mm -hmm. um, he struggled with every job that he went to. He couldn't really hold a job. And, and he got, because of this, I guess, generational um, tradition or, or, or practice practice that they, they had with being a necromancer. He kind of clung to that. And I guess that was kind of like something that he just felt uh, he could just spend time on, you know what I mean? Rather than being at work or whatever, he could just kind of, go on this and i don't know if he thought maybe he could just kind of bs his way through it or what or maybe he just because of his his mental state he felt that oh well i'm i have a hereditary kind of mm -hmm. thing or ability you know within me and i could you know i i i'm, I'm magical or whatever i don't know but to your point well, the dude was very unstable yeah he i mean he did spend time in an institution in harrisburg at one point and basically one of the doctors wrote up he has dilute witch delusions yeah you yeah. know um but you know his like the wife that he allegedly wanted to kill um they basically split up after losing two children you know so mm. there there he also basically his iq was like low borderline for you know an adult so he was kind of simple in that aspect yeah yeah also different versions of the story you hear where ray meyer didn't necessarily die right that he was beating. more just unconscious yeah um i also you know heard about how he fell and caught him got caught on the one board over the potatoes and honestly folks you you can find so much different information i mean these people actually you know went to went through the court process and stuff like that um but to get back to what we were talking about they basically robbed ray meyer of 97 cents that he had in his pocket and set the house on fire yep you know the hex was lifted but their luck didn't change for the better the three men were quickly apprehended and their trials became international news uh reports from around the world flocked to york to belittle the superstitious people who could believe in hexing necromancy and folk medicine uh blymeyer's attorney would produce evidence that blymeyer had the mental age of eight years old of an eight-year-old child uh mm -hmm. curry's attorney would point to the boy's miserable home life Wilbert Hess claimed that he had not intended to murder Ray Meyer. Despite the defense, all three men were convicted. Mm -hmm. um, can you pull up the picture that uh, the three? Yep. I'm on it, buddy. Okay. Um, and from left to right in this picture is uh, Wilbert Hess 
John Curry there in the middle and John Blymeyer there on the end. And if you kind of look at Blymeyer, he kind of has that deer in the headlights kind of look going on right there. Mm -hmm. He's a little Nobody simple. behind the wheel in that one. Yeah, he, very simple looking. I mean, yeah. not to say you can judge this from looks, but... Um, you could judge it from looks. <laughs> you can see there's something. Yeah, you can see there's something not quite right. Yeah. Um, now the house where Ray Meyer was murdered was, like I said, set on fire, but it wasn't completely destroyed, and quickly gained a reputation in, for being haunted. Yeah. And actually, the whole valley, uh, Ray, uh, Ray Meyer Hollow, the whole hollow there is said to be haunted. Yeah, I'll bring the house back up again. This is this is it. So it's still standing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually the house. I mean, we're we're and you got to think we're only talking about 1928. Yeah, um, it's a, basically around the same time. So, say that again. I lost you. I said you're, you're. We're basically talking about the same time frame that my house was built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's close to mine too. Yeah. Um, now, of course, it, you look at the picture, the family has added an ADT security system. No, that's original. That's 1928 ADT. <laughs> well, now the funny thing is, if you actually look up the historic, like, um, Ray Meyer Hollow house, like the Wikipedia page for it, mm -hmm. it actually brings up the current owners have an ADT security system. I'm like, Folks, it is private property. <laughs> you don't yeah, yeah. walk up on it. Yeah, it's like somebody's. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody lives in there currently, but it is a home that is owned by somebody. It's kept in good repair. Yeah, you. Oh. Okay, I'm back. I guess. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, and one of the the things they say about like the fire. Basically, the way the fire was set, Ray Meyer's body put the fire out. He can got, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can, I think my video me. froze. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll keep talking. You try to fix your video if you can. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the way his body fell, it actually fell over one of the support beams over a potato bin because he had been like a potato farmer, basically, that area. And basically with his body getting caught his body fluids actually put the fire out so and you know kind of morbid details and i'm not sure how true that is but you know he was basically the murder took place on um november 28th of 1928 which was uh the day before thanksgiving that year and so when we were talking about hauntings of this area, his spirit, you know, is alleged to be seen and felt in the home and around the home. And yeah, you, know, you gotta think about it. Is is it people imagining, you know, this this spirit because the area is so steeped in lore of the murder, or, or you know, perhaps is it actually a you know a spirit that is returns, you know, to kind of you know oversee his you know his property and and kind of help still help people in a lot of ways like mm -hmm. you know is he still trying to do his work from beyond the grave you never know so now we get to the trial 
you know, we almost become a true crime show on this one. Yeah, um, right. The resulting trial is, you know, known as the York Witch Trial. And it, the underlying story of it, it's a modern witchcraft case where violence is, you know, caused a sensation at the time. You know, this this mm -hmm. whole thought process of these three men actually murdering somebody over, you know, witchcraft and and hexing and cursing each other or you know superstition yeah basically i mean it, it is kind of funny in that sense like people would actually believe this so much that they would be driven to kill somebody over it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um scary now, you know all three men were convicted it was a pretty simple the the judge basically forbid the lawyers from using any of the witchcraft talk yeah like he basically said look i'm not going to allow it in the court if you even bring it up it will be taken out we're we're not we're not we're, we're dealing with fact we're not dealing with superstition or folklore we're dealing with the actual facts of the events well and even at that time too like they're trying to move away from the superstitions and the folklore and all that so they didn't want to stain in the area you know yeah. what i mean yeah, and I mean, like, they basically, the three men basically admitted to it. Like, it wasn't, yeah. when they were asked, when the, the police questioned them, they were like, yeah, we had to. I mean, we were hexed. Yeah. Like, Blymeyer basically told the cops, like, flat out, like, yeah, I did. I, I, I'm better now. Like, the hex is gone. Like, so like it was no big deal yeah I like mean, you, you uh, should understand you know what i mean like i had a curse on me so yeah i mean I, here's the thing if the guy really did have the brain capacity of an eight-year-old he was in his 30s i think already at that point but had the brain yeah. capacity of an eight-year-old i could see that it, it's a kid response like well yeah, yeah. i punched yeah. him because he took my toy yeah yeah you know, or he something. cursed me so i had to take care of it yeah yeah well, it's like Alicia said, it sounds like a bunch of idiots who didn't want to be accountable for their own decisions leading to misfortunes. And it's it's absolutely true. You know what I mean? They didn't, mm -hmm. it's 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 but and again, I it's a simple minded grown man who, you know, was able to bend the minds of two other younger individuals and you know. They all bought into the super. And again, when you have a culture where, you know, I mean, we call it superstition or whatever to them, maybe it's a little bit more than that. And they truly do believe and they feel that that is the way it is. You know what I mean? Because obviously the whole Hess family was buying into it as well. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, I'm this fourth generation necromancer or whatever. Um, they're putting a little bit more stock into this guy. I mean, I, I would imagine if he had the mental capacity of an eight-year-old, they would have picked up on that, but I don't know. Well, here's the thing though. He's fourth generation and, you know, the title brings a lot of prestige, right? Right. Yeah. So you have a fourth gen, every gen stronger than the last. Yeah. So, maybe his simpleness is his connection like yeah. you know like certain like you start looking at like rasputin rasputin mm -hmm. was all these horrible things yet everybody in the court in, in the czar's court was trying to win favor with him he was you know a sexual deviant he was you know dirty he was 
you know, crude, crass, all the above, but yet all these high level people were still trying to get his favor, even though he was all these non royal things. So here you have this guy, he's got a, a lineage, he's got a, you know, a pedigree basically. And then, well, yeah, maybe he is a little simple, but he's simple, but he's on our side and he's supposed right. to be the stronger. And, you know, so it, it's a lot of, it, it's the snake oil salesman. Yeah. You know, I hate to say it. A lot of it is just simple, you know, if you believe hard enough, if you believe you feel better hard enough and you don't have something that will actually kill you, you're going to get better. You know, yeah. positive thought. Laughter is the best medicine, right? Mm -hmm. All this stuff. If you have something that's going to kill you, it ain't going to do you any good. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing. All of these men were eventually released from prison. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they went on to have you know, relatively, you know, normal lives. In fact, um, speculation, I, I'm not going to say 100% this is the same person, but uh, Wilbert G. Hess, there's a Wilbert G. Hess that was on Eisenhower's uh, staff during World War II and helped drop the plans for the invasion of uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. So, and he went on to own a farm in that area. Also, the funny thing is Eisenhower is of German-Swiss descent whose family emigrated to the Dutch country of Pennsylvania in the 1700s. There you go. So Eisenhower is tied to this and not that Eisenhower is directly tied to this, but family-wise, his family yeah, yeah, yeah. to that part. There's the a country. tie, yeah. Yeah. And well, I think they even said Blameyer um, went on to, you know, do other kind of like odd jobs, almost like a handyman kind of thing. And everybody who knew him couldn't believe when they found out that that he was had any part to do with any of this. Well, and that, yeah, he was like a, a building superintendent custodian type thing somewhere in Philly. Yeah. Um, Basically, yeah, everybody that met him would have never guessed that he was part of a, you know, vicious, cold-blooded murder. Um, I know Hess, you know, there were some people that had worked for Hess or Curry years later on one of the farms. Or there was a, there was a guy who worked at a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And he used to see Mr. Hess all the time. And Mr. Hess, the one day said to him, oh, are you, you know, are you almost done with school now? And then boy said, yeah, you know, it was coming up on summer. And he's like, yeah. He's like, are you going, are you, are you planning on continuing your education? The boy was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to college and, you know, in the fall. And he said to the boy, he said, well, good. Don't, don't mess up like I did when I was your age. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And the guy basically was like, well, sir, how, what, what do you mean? And has told him the story. Well, the guy he actually told the story to the boy who was working as a grocery clerk was one of Ray Meyer's descendants. Oh, Jesus. That's irony. Yeah. Now, the, the, yeah, the guy didn't know that's who he was yeah. or any, like anything like that. Wasn't he? Was I don't think his last name was Ray Meyer, even so. You know, it was a, a grocery store. Clerk. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was a descendant of the, 
you know, of Nelson Raymeyer. So, you know, the descendants of the Raymeyer opened the Hex House to the public back in 2007 mm -hmm. uh, with displays from his life and his murder. I don't know if that's still open or not. Yeah, I tried to find out some information on it, and I couldn't find anything. So I don't know. Maybe yeah, know. maybe if we stumble upon it, and it is actually open, maybe we'll take a ride down there. Yeah, I know his like one of the descendants uh, has a lot of his stuff. I don't know if he owns the house, if he's the one that owns the house or not. I know he he does have a lot of the personal items and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, Again, we're only talking about 1928. We're not talking about 1828. It's, I mean, this is, yeah. you know, within almost, well, yeah, the last hundred years. I mean, yeah. within our life, not our lifetime, but our, our grandparents, at least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so that, that concludes our topic on hex signs, powwows, and witchcraft. Um, I think we're going to expand on this a little bit more because we're talking about the powwows and the folk magic and the folk healers. And I think what we want to do is we want to do another episode on the witches of Pennsylvania. Like Chad had mentioned at one point in the show about um, William Penn and his involvement on witch trials and stuff like that. So we we want to talk about a little bit more on some of the superstition and uh, witchcraft kind of uh ties to the state of pennsylvania so that'll be one of our upcoming shows but uh i just want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight i hope you enjoyed the show and we, we did have a couple little technical snafus but you know it wouldn't be one of our shows if we didn't and uh chad as always brother thank you so very much for uh joining me on another little adventure yeah thank you uh maybe we'll talk about uh nelly Knoll. Uh, yep emma Knop, real mm -hmm. name, first name. Yep. <laughs> Knop. Well, yeah, because she was um, not just a uh, bruja or a necromancer. She was uh, a local witch, as what she was referred to in a lot of the stuff that we had uh, mm. uh, looked up. So I guess yeah. she might have been on the darker side of the hexeria or something i don't know because that's what they usually would call the witches so mm. we'll we'll dig in a little bit more on that and uh we will uh talk more about some of the other witches that were known in in pennsylvania and uh yeah could be could be a really good show and uh, norm thank you for joining in buddy we appreciate it and you have a good night as well so that said we will be back in another two weeks um, we'll let you know what the topic is before we, uh, we do it. I don't know if it's going to be, the next one's going to be on witches, but, uh, we'll let everybody know ahead of time. And again, thank you all for tuning in, Chad. Thanks for tuning in and have a great night, brother. Yep. You too, man. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs>